Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. presenting sponsor for today's episode of Head of the Pack is Visa, a network working for everyone. Welcome back to the latest post-game Head of the Pack. I'm Matt Schneiman here with Bill Huber. We're coming to you around 2 a.m. from the Lambeau Field press box. Packers with a 35-17 win over the Lions for a while there. It looked like these guys might start the season 0-2. You know, they were trailing at halftime 17-14, but then they outscored the Lions 21-0 in the second half. Um, the offense kept the defense off the field largely until the game was out of reach. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Robert Tunyon, the playmakers who they had to feed, came to play, delivered when they needed to. Um, and now the Packers are one and one heading to Santa Clara next week for a Sunday night football matchup against the 49ers, which should be a great game. So what I want to start with here, Bill, is, you know, can you really take much away from this game? The Packers are supposed to beat the Lions. Um, what I learned is that the Packers can still beat up on, you know, one of the worst teams in the league when they want to. I, I don't think this performance tells us, oh, week one was just a mirage. We shouldn't take anything from that game. We should just forget about it. But, you know, the Packers play in a bad division. They should beat up on the teams in their division. And in that case, they'll probably make the playoffs. So they did what they had to do tonight. It, it took a little bit longer than you would have liked to see, but they did it. And no Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones and the other guys did not forget how to play football. <laughs> yeah. It's been a, it's been a long week of social media, hasn't it, Matt? Seriously. Good man. Oh man. Um, you're right. I mean, I, there's not much to be gleaned from it. Um, it, the Packers have always been, not always, but you know, for the better part of a decade now, have been a team that has to take a lead step on the gas and make the other team chase and that feeds into what they want to do on defense. And that, that was the formula formula tonight. They, they took the lead. Detroit didn't have nearly the manpower to catch up, you know, even with Kevin King playing in the secondary, the Lions don't have any receivers worth a darn. So no, I mean, I, the pack isn't back. Um, we'll find out a hell of, we'll find out a hell of a lot more next week. It's the 49ers. They beat the crap out of the lions, even though the final score didn't say that they beat the crap out of them for most of that game. And then they, they pretty handily beat Philly on Sunday. We'll get a we'll get a real gauge brother at here on on uh, what six days from now. Yeah, and obviously the main story is Aaron Jones tonight. Only, I mean, I say only. He had 115 total yards, um, six catches for 48 yards, and three touchdowns. That's the real story here. 17 rushes for 67 yards and a touchdown. First Packers running back with three touchdown catches in a game since 1942 against the Chicago Cardinals and my man, let me get his name. He looks like he could still do it. I mean, I know he's, you know, probably not in that great of a shape anymore, but um, <laughs> Andy, Urum. Andy Urum, yep. And what you said, he had an even better day than Jones did on that day. 
Yeah, what a slacker Aaron Jones is. He I mean he couldn't even compare to what he couldn't even compare to what Andy Urim to Aaron. I mean, he had three touchdowns for I don't know, he had a he had a couple 70 yarders in there too. So Cecil Isbell was the quarterback that day, by the way. And Andy Urim is not going to be sitting up for the Packers. He unfortunately died in 1984. Oh, may he rest in peace. Yes. Um, at, the, at the age of, of Dave, David Bakhtiar, I'd be interest, interested. He died at the age of 69. There you go, I guess. Okay. Oh, God, it's a late night. <laughs> so Aaron Jones's performance was extra meaningful tonight because it was his first home game since the passing of his father um, back on April 6th of this year. ESPN revealed on the broadcast that Alvin Jones Sr. died of COVID-19 at age 56. And, you know, Alvin Jones Sr. was a huge part in, in Alvin Jones being Aaron Jones's twin, hence the senior. Um, so uh, Alvin was a huge part in, in Aaron's football life. And what Aaron said tonight was, you know, he taught me how to overcome adversity. And that was both on and off the field. And um, in, a, in a football sense, I know there's much more important adversities to overcome in life. But in a football sense, Aaron Jones had a terrible week one, um, five carries for nine yards, two catches for 13 yards. And he bounces back and the Packers bounce back this week. And he essentially carries them to a, a much needed win. And he said, you know, this was really special to, to honor my dad because he taught me, you know, a man is made from what they respond to or how they respond. And um, after his first touchdown, he kind of patted his chest and pointed up to the sky. The interesting story from tonight is that after his second touchdown catch, Aaron Jones was wearing a, a necklace with a small black football attached to it containing his father's ashes. And he actually lost it in the end zone. Um, they don't, they haven't found it that we know of. Um, a Packers spokesperson told me about two hours after the game that they had not found it, despite the best efforts of, of them, the ESPN crew, the Lambeau grounds crew. It's funny enough, right before we started recording, we saw someone out on the field. Nobody's been on the field for hours. We saw someone out on the field. It looked like head trainer, Brian Engel by his blonde hair. I'm not positive. Cause like I'm a little tired and my eyes are fading in and out, but someone was pacing back and forth in the end zone for about 10 minutes where Jones lost uh, the necklace looking for it. So hopefully they find it, but Jones kind of smiled and said, it, it, if I was to lose it anywhere, my dad would be smiling knowing I, I lost it in the end zone, but four touchdowns, what a way to, to honor pops who, who wasn't in the stands tonight, but uh, about 15 friends and family members were. And Jones said that was great to see. Doesn't that tell you all you need to know about Jones is he, it's two o'clock in the morning, almost as we record this and there's somebody out, on the field looking for him. I mean, that tells you all you need to know about this guy is someone's willing to go out there in the dead of night. It's been a monsoon here for a few hours and there's someone out there searching for it. They'd have been screwed without him though, Matt, turning back to football. You know, that first half, the first drive where Green Bay scored to tie the game, Jones touched the ball seven times, including the touchdown. The second drive, a three and out punt after three consecutive passes where Jones doesn't get the ball. The third drive where they're now losing 14 to seven, Jones gets it six times, including a touchdown. He was the guy who really kept them afloat. I know we're all going to talk about Rodgers, or not, we're not. But, you know, with, with four touchdown passes, Rodgers will be the focal point like always. But without Aaron Jones in the first half, they'd have been up a creek. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the need to establish the run. They, they couldn't get anything going in the running game last week against the Saints, and that was in part to they only had 12 offensive plays before the two minute drive at the end of the first half. So they couldn't really get into a rhythm. And 
Um, Matt LaFleur said after the game, we, we abandoned the run too quickly. Granted, they couldn't really get to it when they were down, you know, with so few possessions. And um, by the time they kind of got in a rhythm, they were already down by two scores. So they couldn't really afford to run it that much. But as you said, Aaron Jones had six carries for 30 yards on the opening drive, five yards per carry for those who can't do simple math, which is, which is very good. Um, so they kind of established that early. It, it kept the, the Lions on their toes and made the Packers not very one-dimensional. I mean, they didn't run the ball great on the night. Jones had less than four yards per carry, but that, uh, that included also his one-yard touchdown run. Um, what I thought the best thing the Packers offense did was keep their defense off the field there in the second half. They had long possessions, um, you know, in the second half, they had an eight play 87 yard touchdown drive. They had an 11 play 75 yard touchdown drive. And then in the fourth quarter, the five play 23 yard touchdown drive, but they won the time of possession by about seven minutes after losing it pretty uh, significantly last week. And, um, it took a little while, but Aaron Rodgers finally got into a rhythm and, and looked like the Aaron Rodgers we saw last year with specifically on that 50-yard bomb to Devontae Adams and the 22-yard touchdown pass to Robert Tunyon. With about four minutes to go in the game, he had as many incompletions as touchdowns. He, he was 22 out of 26 with four touchdowns. That was uh, that's a hell of a good night. Um, let's talk defense, Matt. Look, the, li- the Lions stink defensively, so what, you know they carved him up. They gave up 17 points in the first half. At that point, I believe, and I have it here in my notebook. I got to quick go dig it up here. Through the first six quarters of the season, Green Bay's defense is on the field for 12 possessions. That is not including the take a knee by the Saints in the first half. Nine scores and 12 possessions. Joe Barry's defense getting massacred. And then suddenly they, they somehow got it fixed. I mean, I don't know if it's fixed, but. They, they found some answers. So what do you make out of that? Again, you know, Goff's not a bad quarterback. The running backs are legit. Hawkinson's a really good tight end. The, the receivers are terrible. But what do you make out of a defense one? It was really concerning in the first half. And, you know, against better offenses, they will struggle. And I think this could be a Packers team that is going to have to win games, you know, 31 28 and 35 30. And I think they're capable of doing that. But um, the run defense, it was all right tonight. Not great. You know, the Lions ran 19 times for 108 yards, which is 5.7 yards per carry. Not ideal, obviously. But, you know, for the Packers, that's not horrific. Their pass defense, there are still too many miscommunications. I mean, you're going to have some Adrian Amos said, you know, communication is never going to be hundred percent when we talked to him last week, but Quintez Cephas wide open on, on the first touchdown, the, the lions just march right down the field, Kevin King, giving up another explosive play. You have Devondre Campbell on TJ Hawkinson. Um, it was all right coverage, but you know, you're going to lose that matchup a hundred times out of a hundred. Um, you have a penalty by Devondre Campbell pulling Jerry Goff's face mask when he's already going down. It's just these, these mistakes that are going to bite you against better teams. And I know Devondre Campbell had the interception and I know Kevin King had the nice pass breakup in the end zone, but those two guys are liabilities. And if I have one takeaway from 
the defensive side of the ball today, it's that Eric Stokes needs to play over Kevin King. I understand Kevin King has the experience, but and, and maybe my recency bias is showing since the last three games, Kevin King, who also got hurdled clean tonight, um, hasn't been great the last three games, and Eric Stokes has been good when given the chances the last two games. But Eric Stokes had two really nice fourth-down pass breakups tonight, one in the red zone or, or near the red zone, one in the end zone when the game was already out of reach. But that you know the point stands. When's the last time we saw – Kevin King have, have plays in important situations like that on, on fourth down when the other team's going for it and getting his head turned around. I, I believe on both plays, Eric Stokes was not facing the ball when it was thrown and, you know, he gets his head turned around, doesn't commit a penalty and, and knocks the ball down or, or gets his hand in the way. Maybe I'm jumping the gun too soon and maybe it's a knee jerk reaction, but has, has Eric Stokes earned more playing time? Do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we'll look, I think we probably talked about this last week. Everybody knows who Kevin King is at this point. He's not going to suddenly become who he is until he turned into a Pro Bowl caliber guy. I mean, it's just not going to happen. At least with Stokes, there's the upside with, with the two two breakups tonight. He tackles well. Yeah, you know, for you know, we talked about this live, Matt. I'm not saying Shannon Sullivan is the world's greatest slot defender. But... Give me, give me Sullivan. Give me, give me Jair Alexander, Eric Stokes, and Shannon Sullivan. Kevin King is not a slot defender. You know, I'll be interested to talk to Barry on Thursday to see what his thinking there was. I'm, I'm sure that he had some, some logic on that. But mm-hmm. you know, they're paying a pretty decent amount of money to keep Sullivan here this year. Um, he's not a bad player. I know he got beat by the by the Bucks in the first quarter of the championship game, and he had a couple other rough outings. But by and large, he was. He's a pretty decent player last year. To me, that's a better secondary than than running King out there. I, I, I don't. I, I yeah. don't get it. Um, you know, he was that that first deep pass to Cephas. King was in a good spot, wasn't he? Yeah, he kind of got twisted around off and the he line. He just starts flailing. Yeah, it, on that play, I watched the replay back once, and he kind of gets out of position off the line. And Cephas beats him with a move, but mm-hmm. he gets back in position because Goff, you know, stood in the pocket and scrambled around for so long. And it looked like he was in great position, but he just wasn't there to make the play. And that's where Eric Stokes has been better is when he's in position, his ball skills have been better to make the play. And like you said, Kevin King kind of just flails his arm and, and that sets up the, the opening drive touchdown for the lions. But I don't expect them to make the change. I don't expect them to tell us whether they're considering making a change. It's always going to be an open competition, but I don't see, you know, what is it? Insanity is defined by doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Is I don't think it's, maybe it is insanity to keep trotting out Kevin King and expecting him to become like some lockdown corner. He's going to give up these big plays, and Eric Stokes has not yet proven that he will. So I think they'll maybe ease Stokes in a little bit instead of making some drastic change. But why? Why wait if you have a better guy on the sideline? Yeah, but then again, you go to that first touchdown where Sipos is open by, what, 15 yards? And yeah. I'm not exaggerating. By When Goff threw the ball, he was open by 15 yards, and the only guy 
in the in the neighborhood was was Stokes. Now I I have no idea if someone else blew coverage and he just happened to be the wrong guy there. And we're all pointing fingers on just because he's the closest guy there. I mean, who knows? Um, but that was a bad play. You know, I we um we had Jim Mora Jr. on. I talked to him before the draft about cornerback play, and he calls it a DB panic <clears throat> board, where you got these DBs who have all the tools in the world, and a practice field all adds up. And when the games come, and when the ball comes, they just panic. And that seems like Kevin King on that play. He's he's there, and he's a six foot three guy with this great length. A play like that should be right in his wheelhouse, and it's just like he, it's panic mode. The ball is the, there's a play there to be made, and his just arms are like I'm like you can't see me. His arms is like that when, when you go to like the strip mall and they got that inflatable inflatable thing and it's blowing around in the wind. It's it's like Kevin King playing pass coverage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll we'll see on that. I think the biggest concern with the defense is the lack of pass rush. Oh and, Lord Almighty, yes. And I know that Zadarius Smith is out. And yes, Preston Smith had a nice pressure that forced that intentional grounding, which I don't think is a great call because how I saw someone tweet this and might've been Ben Baldwin who writes for us, but you know, how can you get an intentional grounding call when your arm's being hit yeah, at the same time? Yeah, that was not a great call. And, um, and then Rashawn Gary had the quote unquote sack, but he had a, a really nice rush on the right tackle. And uh, Goff kind of fumbled the ball himself, and Gary just touched him and, and credited with the sack. But far too many times, Jared Goff had too much time back there against a Lions offensive line that has a rookie right tackle playing left tackle. And you said a former Iowa defensive lineman playing right tackle? Yes, that's accurate. Matt Nelson played D-line at Iowa, and he's starting a right tackle for him. And, like, you need to do better. And – When's the last time you saw Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster consistently affect the quarterback? Even oh. Kenny, even Kenny Clark, like, yeah, Clark had a good rush tonight. Well, he had one good rush. You know, I when when Zadarius went out, we talked to to Joe on Friday, and I said, "Do you have enough guys to give you pass rush? Or are you going to go have to create it?" And he he lifts, he you know, he lists off lists off Preston and Rashawn Gary, and then he mentioned <clears throat> Dean Lowry. I mean, what what? <laughs> What? Dean Lowry? No. If you're no. Ca- if you're counting on Dean Lowry to give you a pass rush, you're screwed. Well, this is what you get. You got what you get tonight. You know, there's this chicken and egg thing of what what is better, what's more important, the pass rush or coverage. What if you don't have either? Yeah. You got these guys. I mean, poor, I mean, Jair is great, but you know, Jair. What, what's that phrase that they said about Deion? Jair can cover. You know, two thirds of the planet or two thirds of the earth is covered with water, and the other third by Jair Alexander. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody, I think I probably butchered that, but you can't cover probably. everybody. Um, yeah, they need they need some pass rush, and you know, next week they play a 49ers team who I think is going to start me at running back because they have yep, so many people are. hurt, and Jimmy Garoppolo, if they still start him, uh, which I believe they are has to pass the ball and they need to get some pass rush against him. They really do. And um, the 49ers will probably still find a way to run the ball, but Mm -hmm. that should be priority one for this defense this week is finding out how to affect the quarterback because, you know, 
they pre- they flushed Jameis Winston out of the pocket, but he looked like 2004 Madden Michael Vick last week. <laughs> Even Jared Goff was scooting for some yards today. He he ran for four 46 yards on four carries. That was he was the Lions' leading rusher. I mean, there uh, most of the quarterbacks in this league can run if if you give them space. So you need to not just pressure the QB and but pressure him and not allow him lanes to escape. And the Packers have not done that, and they need to find a way to do that. Yeah, that's that's the conundrum. You, you can wait for Zedarius to get back, but, but when's he going to get back? I mean, I, I, realize, I, I realize what the IR rules are, but when's he really going to get back? Week six, maybe? Yeah, and again, this is a guy who had no training camp. So if you take his training camp... His week one practices and his week one, he's been on the field five times. So, you, I mean, you can't expect him to come back and be 40 snap a game. So it's it's going to take a while. Even, even under the best case, it's going to be a while before he becomes an impact guy. And we've all had back problems, right? I mean, you, you were mentioning it the other day that you're oh my I mean, God. You just, you just never know. Um, and he, obviously, obviously being an NFL player, a bit more violent than our gig. I don't know, Bill. My mattress is pretty violent. I've had some bad back problems. I'm not even 26 and a half years old, and my back has been hurting. So I am going on IR. I will be back to cover the week six game against the Bears. In the meantime, I will be rehabbing from home and partaking in Zooms, but hopefully my back heals up. <laughs> it's, a, it's a major problem, though. I mean, yeah. there is one play where I... I can't say I watched those guys every down by watch Chauncey Rivers on one play. It was a passing play, and it was like me. You know, it was like me trying to get around a wall. It was just nothing was happening. You know, and Jonathan Garvin had a late pressure late in the game, but he didn't do anything. It's a, they got some major problems, which yeah. is fine if you got cover guys, but they don't have enough of those either. Exactly. Their cornerback depth is not great. Um, Devondre Campbell, not great despite the interception. Don't let one play fool you. Don't let Kevin King's one nice PBU fool you. Devondre Campbell's interception. These guys have some problems on defense. And yeah, they didn't allow one of the worst teams in the league to score in the second half, but they have the 49ers and the Steelers up next. And, you know, they have a Bengals offense that might be able to do some things that when Joe Burrow isn't throwing interceptions on three straight pass attempts, like he did against the bears on Sunday, like they're, they play teams like the Ravens, the Seahawks, the Rams, like those ain't the lions. So you're going to, you're going to need to fix something. And and luckily for the Packers, they avoided a disastrous Owen two start. Um, This division is theirs for the taking. And, And tonight showed you why they should still be the front runners to win it because they should beat teams. You know, on paper, you can say games against the Ravens or the Steelers or the Rams or the Seahawks or the Cardinals. Maybe the Packers shouldn't win those, but they should win games like these against the Bears, against the Vikings. And if they can do that, then they should have the fast track to the division title, which would be a playoff spot. And it seems like they would be. A couple other quick hitters before we go on to your questions. Thank you for getting those in at such a late hour. Randall Cobb got involved a little bit. Three catches for 26 yards. Had that 14-yard catch on the third and 14. I, th- I think they'll start to ease him in a little bit more. Um, and then two other things from me, and you're fe- f- free to chip in with whatever. 
Packers got a punter. Corey Bohorka is pretty good. You know, his hang time is a little unorthodox, but that's by design, I think. And his placement on punts is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And I like the way, the way his, his ball flies through the air. And in the return game, Kylan Hill had the best kick return I've seen in my two plus years covering the Packers, you know, bounced off one of his own guys, found an opening up the right sideline and returned it 41 yards and, and hurdled the kicker, I believe. And that was nice. Gave the Packers great starting field position. So some special teams, bright spots and, you know, starting to get Randall Cobb involved were a a couple more positives for the Packers. Yeah. Those Bohorka's punts right to the sideline. Everybody talks about hang time and this and that, but if you can put that ball right at the sideline, it just makes life so much easier for your coverage unit. Mm -hmm. Because obviously that guy has nowhere to go. So yeah, he was, he's a real weapon for sure. Um, yeah, I, I got nothing else for you, Matt. You know, you know, how about Devontae Adams tonight? Was that like the quietest 100-yard receiving game you've ever seen? Yeah. Everyone Aaron Jones is so good. Rodgers is so good. He's just he's just unstoppable. When the, when this guy, when these guys can get the ball moving a little bit, he's just such a bugger to handle. Um it, it was other than the 50-yard gain, all those other yards just kind of kind of snuck up on you. Um It'll be interesting, though. The 49ers are, they've done such a good job taking away the Jones and the Adams of the world. Riders spent all of training camp raving about Valdez Scantling and raving about Lazard. And those guys haven't done anything in two games. Lazard didn't have a target tonight. He doesn't even show up on the stat sheet other than that he played. 0 for 4 to Valdez Scantling. I know Riders was ticked about those, um, took the blame for all those, but. Um, those receivers that Riders raved about all summer long, this is going to be the game where they need to show up. Yeah, and Valdez Scantling could have had two catches for, you know, 120 yards and two touchdowns, but Rodgers overthrew him twice. Rodgers said three times. I don't know what the third one was. I just know the, the two that I remember. Um, At the goal line, um, was it that first series where he had a little pressure in his face? At the one... I think he threw a slant behind Velvet, or maybe it was a receiver screen behind Velvet Scantling. I that might have been it. Yeah. It sure was, that, was that the second possession? I'm just thinking overthrows, and, and Rodgers obviously took the blame for both of those, as he should, I think. But um, definitely some things to iron out. Not perfect, but luckily for them, this game where they weren't perfect came against the Detroit Lions. So let's get to your questions. We have e- some. We have some from Ian Larkin. Is Joe Barry a bust? Any chance he gets fired in the middle of the season? The defense seems disorganized and confused. That's the um, interesting thing. It's always tough to say, you know, how much is coaching? How much is players? And you'll never really know because what we see is probably not what's happening. And as much as you know football, as much as I like to think I know what's going on, which isn't nearly as much as some others who are far more in the know than myself. But like on the Lions first touchdown, why is Quintus Cephas wide open? Is it because Kevin King and Darnell Savage are miscommunicating before the snap? Or is it Eric Stokes fault? Cause he's late to get over. Like we'd need to literally sit down with those guys and, and ask. And even then they may just take the blame or 
say something general, like Joe Barry might say, oh, we just need to communicate better. Like we may not get the actual answer. So it's tough to actually pinpoint what's on the players, what's on the coaches, but the lack of communication, I tend to think is more on the coaches because you need to have your guys know what their assignments are on any given play. And maybe Joe Barry is doing that. Maybe it's on the players. So I'm, I'm back to, I don't know whose fault it is, but it's someone's fault. That's, that's the point. These simple mistakes are someone's fault. And it's easy to blame the defensive coordinator for all this, but I do think some of it is the players because like we said before, insanity is defined by doing the same thing over and over and expecting similar results. And the Packers have trotted out essentially the same defense the last two years and expect it to get better. And it hasn't. Right. You know, we talked earlier about the Kevin King, Kevin King flailing this Cephas play. I wish I had a stopwatch, you know, how long Jared Goff had back in the pocket. Green Bay's rush wasn't they were nowhere near him. He was he must have had five seconds back there, and they're still nowhere near him. He could have taken a nap back there. He could have taken a nap back there. I took a nap on my desk. And you woke up and he was still in the pocket. It, it was brutal. So um that's not the coordinator's fault. No. At, at, at the at the end of the day, you've got to you guys have got to go win. You, you got to win your one-on-one matchups, as Matt Lafleur says ten times a week. Does you, you got to win? Um, but you're right. The communication breakdowns. I, I don't know how that's anything other than coaching. Now, what you could say it's it's week two um, with the new defense, and maybe they got some kinks to work out. Um, to, to the maybe, to the maybe they got maybe they got some kings to work out. That's there the one go. thing that I think is it, it's on coaching for who you put on the field. Sure. And if, if Kevin King keeps messing up, yeah, that's Kevin King's fault, but it's also on the coaching staff for continuing to put him out there. So to, to the original, one of his parts of his question was firing him. Is here's an, Look, week eight, you're at Arizona. Arizona scored like 100 points in the first two games. Week nine, Kansas City. Enough said. Week 10, Seattle. They can score. Oh, I forgot week Kansas 11, City. Week, week 11 is Minnesota. They scored a bunch last week. There's a week 13 bye after facing a whole gauntlet of really good offenses. If you still are really, really struggling defensively, but you're still in the playoff hunt, that week 13 bye might be a time. Might be a time. Again, maybe, maybe Barry is going to work miracles here over the next two months. This conversation becomes stupid. But if the struggling continues and they face all these really good offenses um, during the second half of the season, I could see it. Remember, uh, Nathaniel Hackett was fired by Jacksonville. Yeah. They, the they season the, after they went to the yeah. AFC championship. Yep. They, they were horrible. The coach was feeling the heat and they fired him probably about the same time in the season. So it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. I would love to spice up the variety of these questions, but most of them are about Joe Barry and we just <laughs> covered that. So let's go from Jared McDonald. Who is Royce Newman and how do the Packers keep selecting solid offensive linemen? I, I will say the Packers had three interior offensive linemen starters tonight who had combined two starts career. And that was Josh Myers and Royce Newman last week against Jacksonville. John Runyon Jr., the 2026th round pick, made his first career start tonight because Lucas Patrick, who would normally start at left guard, didn't really practice this week while working through the concussion protocol. And we'll have to watch the game back, but I thought Rodgers had 
ample amounts of time back there for the most part. He got sacked a couple times. He said it was because he ran into some sacks. You know, it wasn't the cleanest game from the offensive line. I, I think Runyon might have allowed one. Elton Jenkins might have allowed one. He seemed upset after that one for some reason. I'll have to look back and see why. But um, there were some holding calls. Not a perfect game, but about as good as you can expect from, you, you know, you go from Elton Jenkins, Corey Lindsley, and Lucas Patrick last year, three veterans who know what they're doing, to John Runyon Jr., Josh Myers, and Royce Newman. Like, that could be an utter disaster, but they treaded water, and that's about all you need. Yeah, we'll find out next week. Oh. Uh, honestly, do you, um, do you know the? I mean, honestly, do you, do you know the Lions? I mean, you probably do make sure fix of this game, but I mean, coming into this game, you don't. I didn't know any of the Lions' defensive linemen. I mean, I knew I knew the outside linebackers of Quora and, and Flowers, but their interior guys, I I couldn't tell you in, until this week. So. And, and the, four, the 49ers have DeForest Buckner. They right. Have, They're loaded. So we'll no, find not out. DeForest Buckner. Sorry, DeForest He's Buckner is on the Colts. Uh, Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, Javon Kinlaw, first round pick. I mean, this is, that's a serious defensive line. And yes, Rogers said, use the words uh, fearsome pass rush. I believe that's exactly what he said. That's so. going to be an interesting game. So we'll find out about those guys. Um, Steve Clark wants to know, with the laser show returning to Green Bay, who do you guys think Aaron Rodgers would pick for his favorite backup? Well, you've been covering the team ever since Aaron Rodgers has been the starter, so I'll let you answer that question. I would go Matt Flynn. Um, but, boy, Tim, boy, I mean, he, I mean you, were, you were with, obviously, the Boyle stuff. I mean, he mm-hmm. spoke with him with, with real reverence yeah. with him. Um, Really respected him for everything that he did. Um, complimented him all the time for all the work that he did behind the scenes. So I, I would say those two are, are the runaway winners. Uh, not BJ Coleman for <laughs> for for you long time people out there. Um, here we go from Bombardi Libs. Beating the Lions doesn't make me feel better about Week One. We keep talking about the Packers as legit Super Bowl contenders. Do you still think that's a fair assessment? Feels like the sort of another season where we win a bunch of games and get completely blown out in the playoffs. You know, it's I think it's far too early to tell what type of team this really is. You know, I mean, the Saints got blown out by the Carolina Panthers this week. The Kansas City Chiefs blew an 11-point lead in the fourth quarter. The Las Vegas Raiders beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. There's so much parity in the NFL that I think you kind of just have to not try and make it make sense. Would I be surprised if the Packers beat the 49ers next week? No, but I also would not be surprised if they lost by 30 again. Right. Right now, my early gut feeling is that the Packers are a team that that are going to win 10 or 11 games because they put up a lot of points. Their defense will have a couple good games, but more games like tonight and week one. And the Packers will win the division and, you know, maybe lose in the second round of the playoffs, not get a bye, but lose in the divisional round. Now, could that perception change if they go in and beat the 49ers and beat the Steelers and go on a run here? Sure. 
especially because like the Seattle Seahawks were great, but they blow it to the the Tennessee Titans. The LA Rams almost blew it to a Colts team who, you know, lost Carson Wentz and has a, a kind of a makeshift offensive line in there. Like there was just so much parody in the NFL more so than any other sport. And with the exception of a few teams, Lions, Jaguars, Falcons, you, you know the ones I'm talking about. Anyone can give anyone a battle on any given night. There was uh, there were 10 games this week between the team that won in week one and the team that lost. The week one losers won six and four. Um, there's, there's like nothing more irrelevant in the entire world than week one football. Um, I mean, Rodgers was picking on, on, on the perception of the team. It, it's everybody's overreacts over week one. And I feel like this question is there too. Um, judging by my Twitter from the last seven days, the Packers should have lost this game too and probably should have forfeited the season. And so they you know, look, the Lions are stink, but they, they, they beat them handily. People just get so hung up on week one. And I think Packer fans in particular get so hung up on any loss or any chink in the armor that they just, they just feel like the team is terrible. It, it, maybe, they, maybe, maybe they're not going to be any good. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Bill, but the, don't get don't get hung up on week one of the Saints. Like, like when week eight comes along, don't think about this. But people are going to think about the Saints game for weeks. It's just the Miami Dolphins beat the New England Patriots in week one, and everyone's right. saying, "Oh, it's just Mac Jones having you know rookie struggles, and the Dolphins could be a surprise team." But then week two. The Patriots blow out the Jets, and they're all of a sudden, oh, the Patriots are back. Mac Jones is is the next guy, mm-hmm. and the Dolphins lose thirty five nothing to the Bills, and it's all oh, the Dolphins are dead. They stink. Like, yeah, maybe it's some of our doing, and and we love it because you know it's what makes the NFL the the best sport to cover because it's the most newsworthy. But opinions on teams and the perception of them changes so much. Like you you think back to. The last two seasons, yes, the Packers' two big losses came in the middle of the season after they had big starts. But, like, if you think back two years ago, the season opener, the Packers scored 10 points against the Chicago Bears. Yes, they only let up three. But then that offense went on to help get them to the NFC Championship game. You think back to the beginning of last season. And what was the first game last season? Scored a million points at Minnesota. Oh, that's right. They did score a lot of points, but the defense wasn't good in the first couple weeks. Then they had uh, the week two game against the Lions where they came out soft. And then week three, they allowed 30 to the Saints without Michael Thomas and couldn't tackle Alvin Kamara. But then later in the season, Zedaria Smith came on, Preston Smith came on, Jair was shutting everybody down. Like It's cliche to say it's a 17-game 17 game season it's it's one game at a time but it really is and if these first two weeks like we've said showed you anything it's that teams can drastically change based on the first two weeks like the denver broncos and las vegas raiders are the only two undefeated teams in the afc if i'm not mistaken i I believe i believe I i believe so like and there are a couple in the NFC. I believe it's the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Rams, um, the Buccaneers, and the Panthers. So nobody knows what's going to happen this season. And I think 
six days, they traveled to California, which is a place they've been not great the past couple of years. They beat the 49ers there last year because the 49ers had me and you playing. <laughs> um, and they had a bunch of COVID issues and injury issues, but it'll be a great litmus test for where this team is because the 49ers are healthy again, except for at running back. Um, the Packers are mostly healthy and it'll be, and they're considered one of the best teams in the NFC too. So it'll be a great litmus test for where the Packers are early in the season, at least. Absolutely. I want to see Jair Alexander against Debo Samuel. That'll be a hell of a matchup. Yes, it will. That'll be a great matchup. From the original Randman, Amari Rogers was hyped big time during the preseason as a weapon and then hyped even more once Cobb signed as a mentor. And he has yet to have a target from number 12. Pretty sure he hasn't even seen the field with Aaron under center and his inside scoop. I would just say it's because of Randall Cobb's here. I don't think it's I don't think it's anything to do with Amari Rogers. I just think that the Packers traded for Randall Cobb and they figured they better play the guy. Yeah, there's no need to force feed Amari Rogers. Right. He's you know, hasn't looked great returning punts, but there's no need to to force him into his first couple games as an NFL slot receiver. Amari Rogers will be the slot receiver here eventually. And, you know, Randall Cobb is a veteran and he knows how to play football. And you'd rather that guy in than, than thrust a rookie in just because he might have more upside. Um, I wouldn't read into it you know, anything having to do with his development or lack thereof. I just think it's because of Randall Cobb. And, and for people who say, oh, he's stunting Amari Rogers' growth. I've always been in the camp that Randall Cobb being here is a good thing for, him, for Amari Rogers, if anything. Yeah, also, and I realize that Cobb and Amari Rogers are the prototypical slot guys, but not so much for LaFleur. I mean, he loves Alan Lazard in the slot. Yeah. It's just like having a tight end out there, a very capable sure-handed tight end so um i know Aaron Lazard's not a typical slot guy for a lot of teams but he fits exactly what these guys want to do so you're, you're dividing up slot guys not just with slot guys but you want to have a big receiver out there and they like to do the two tight end stuff and there's just not a whole lot of snaps for those guys either yeah yeah you're right on that um i wouldn't read anything whatsoever into a Mary rogers playing time yeah all right we'll talk to you late next sunday night monday morning um, I'll be in Santa Clara. Can't wait to go back to that same press box I've been to 97 times since I started covering <laughs> the NFL. Uh, the Packers play there every single year for some reason, but we'll see if this time is any different than the last time they played a healthy 49ers team there in 2019 when they got the, their doors blown off twice. But uh, until then, we're getting a little delirious here. It's 2.30, but I'm Matt. He's Bill. You know where to find us. Thanks for listening.